One more time, good morning. Thank you. It's great to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you again to open them to John 15. We'll be in there just briefly this morning. Um, we, every week we're getting smaller and smaller chunks out of it, but it's, uh, it's a big part of what we're looking at here. As most of you know, we have been in a series now, this is week four, uh, called Locally Grown, The Fruit of the Spirit. Thank you. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a series that we've been looking at. We based it on the two verses in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, which will be on screen for you this morning. They are, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so right from the very beginning, we, we looked at these and we said, okay, these are, these are various virtues or character traits. I actually read in a commentary this week, which I thought was awesome, the fellow called them flavors, right? But they're one fruit, and that's what we've been looking at. We're going to look at joy this morning. Before we do that, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you one more time for, oh yeah, Lord, thank you for this morning. As we prayed upstairs earlier today, what a privilege it is to be able to come as your children to worship you. Lord, I thank you for the men and women who are here and, and those who can't be here but may be watching online to, to set aside this time on a Sunday morning for you, first of all, to acknowledge you, to give testimony that we, we love you, we trust you, and we believe in you, but also to demonstrate how much we love one another by showing up for each other. So Lord, I want to thank you for that. I thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for being the vine and I thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the one who produces fruit in us. And I pray this morning, especially Holy Spirit, that you would, you would guide us and teach us. You're the fruit producer. So we look to you this morning to, to ripen us. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So as I mentioned, so far in the series, we've seen these two key verses. And uh, we looked at it in the first week at length a little bit about, okay, how we go through five chapters in the book of Galatians, letter to the Galatian church, and then, then this gets dropped down by Paul, these two verses. And it seemed a little bit out of place. All of a sudden, you know, he's talking about fruit, right? The first time he talks about this fruit thing in the whole, but we saw and learned that it was, it was because in the beginning, he was really worried about them. He was worried that they were listening to these Judaizers who were bringing in a, a Jesus plus gospel a Jesus and works gospel, and some of them, maybe even many of them, were buying into it. And the reason for that is they're 10 to 15 years into their walk in faith with Christ, and it's like, it's not easy anymore. <laughs> maybe it wasn't easy in the beginning, but it certainly isn't easy now. There's persecutions, there's afflictions, they're still wondering, well, wait a second, why? Like, I know, I know the, the fruit, even though he hasn't written about it yet, I know that I'm not supposed to do this, but I should do this, and yet I'm and so they're, they're, they're wondering, what, what, how do I grow? Why am I still going back to the old self and on and on? And so they bought into it because it sounded like, well, yeah, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, but I also do these things. Oh, yeah, I can sanctify myself. And so Paul's like, no, guys, no, you can't. And so that's why he drops in the fruit of the Spirit. He says, because that's his job. That's his job. And if you're attached to the, the vine, grafted into the vine, which is Jesus, he's the one who produces the fruit in you at the end of the day. And so we got a clearer picture of the fruit by, yes, looking at Jesus' sermon in John chapter 15 to his disciples on the vine. 
And so we discovered, obviously, that Jesus basically says, not basically, but declared, I am the vine, and you're the branches. My heavenly father, your heavenly father is the vine dresser, and here's how it works. If you've been grafted into me by the Holy Spirit, and that's how it works, you don't attach yourself. The Holy Spirit grafts you into me. You get the lifeblood that comes out of me, the vine, and then the Holy Spirit produces fruit in you. All the while, your heavenly father, even when you are producing fruit, he comes along and prunes you a little bit. It's like, ouch, why are you doing that, father? Well, because he wants you to bear more fruit. He wants you to be more sanctified. And again, by whom? In the power of whom? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And so we've been using these, these images uh, uh, for the last few weeks. And I want to show them again to you this morning, especially if you're new with us to, and visiting to see, because sometimes people get this impression that the fruit of the Spirit looks like a, like a tree full of apples and oranges and watermelons. You guys have all heard this before for at least three weeks now. And uh, it's not like that. Those trees don't grow multiple fruit. No tree does. It looks more like this. It looks like the fruit of the vine, which is that. And it's a bunch of them, right? And then the second image which we've been showing is this one. And that's kind of like mid-season up in the Okanagan. And, and that's what a bunch of grapes looks like about mid-season. And you see some of them are still green. They're not ripe yet. And so that's what we've been learning is, is that that's the process that's going on here. If you look at all of these facets, character traits, or flavors of the Holy Spirit, and by the way, again, we remind ourselves that this fruit is his, first of all. It's the Godhead's fruit. It's not ours, but he wants to cause it to ripen in all of us. And so as we looked at the first facet last Sunday of love, um, we learned two things, I hope. First, this love, agape love that's listed here, is unlike any other expression or kind of love in our world today, despite what we or anyone else might think. Now, I know that for some of us that's hard to hear. I know we spoke on this many, many months ago related to agape love, and it's hard to hear the idea that, and it may be confusing, especially when someone like your pastor uses words like knockoff and counterfeit to describe the, the love of the world. That can be a little bit difficult. So let me be clear on that, since I am going to use that again today. Let me be clear on that, and that is to say this. Um, uh, I am, I'm going to repeat those words, as I said, but I want to say this. No one is saying, and myself included, that those who do not know Christ, um, those who are not abiding in him as the vine and not have been grafted into them and do not have the Holy Spirit are intentionally faking. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what anyone would be saying. It's not about that. The reality is it's, it's about, it be, think about yourself before you knew Christ and before you were able to actually understand what agape love is and, and what these fruits are like, how you would try to emulate these things. Or let's just imagine you are in Christ today and yet, like, like most of us, you have your days where it's like you're not abiding very well and all of a sudden, you're, again, you're trying to go back into the form of love and the expression of these fruit in a way that you did before and it's, you just know it's not actually sincere. And so the bottom line is, is that what we're coming to uh, is that we need to understand throughout this series is that these fruits are produced only by the Holy Spirit. They're his. And so we need to be grafted into the vine. The Holy Spirit needs to produce these in us. And so as we move on to joy today and the others in 
next, the next few weeks. Let me suggest that we do this and, or keep this thought in mind as we go, for, go forward. I want to, first of all, just put on screen all of the facets of the fruit. And they are, again, we'll put them up on screen for you. Love. Just, I want you to just look at them carefully. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, oh yes, self-control. So I want to suggest to you that all of these various facets are equally unfamiliar to everyone in the world today. Now, <laughs> you might say, well, well, come on. Like, I look at that list and I say to myself, come on, I, I, I have friends I, like I work with or my neighbors, and I, I know uh, pretty much everyone who I come in contact with look at all of those and say, those are good virtues. I, I try to live by those, right? I think most of us would say that. Most people would say, well, look, I, look, I try to be loving. I try to be joyful all the time. I really do. I, I try to be a peacemaker or peace-loving, etc. So I would agree. I would agree. But here's the difference. I just want you to hear this so that we can process joy today well and the rest of the fruit. And that is this. These are all actually, yes, natural virtues. Why do I say it that way? Well, they're natural because every human being on this planet is created in what? The image of God. So, so in, in the DNA residual back of everyone's heart, mind, body, and soul is the knowledge that these are good, that these are right. But it's the natural man's approach to it. And so what I want to suggest to you this morning is, is that and this is our heart needs to be as the church, is, is our heart is that, look, hey, don't, hey look at us. We, we've got the fruit of the Spirit that you don't have. Excuse me? That's not it at all. It's about we are to display the fruit of the Spirit in such a way, Jesus says in John 15, that it'll prove that we are his disciples, which means there's something radically different about the way you and I display those that people in the world will look at it and go, that's not the love or the joy that I'm familiar with. Actually, it's beautiful. That's our testimony to the world. And that, Jesus says, will prove that we are his disciples. To whom? To him? No, he knows who his disciples are. To the lost and dying world. And so my point would be this. These are natural virtues. That's awesome. The fruit of the Spirit is supernatural. It's very different. In fact, it's radically different. So the message of Christ and the Holy Spirit is that we, his disciples, as I've said, have this fruit ripening in us, or at least we should. And listen, again, also not for our benefit so that, again, we can feel really good about ourselves, but first and foremost, for one another's benefit, love one another, love one another. Was that repeated last week a little bit? Love one another, love one another. It's beautiful. And, of course, have it on display again so that the world will know that we are his disciples and that these fruit are supernatural and that they will want to know more about them. We'll tell them about Jesus being the vine, right? And about being grafted in and now receiving the product of the Holy Spirit.
So now back to that lo lovely language of knockoff and counterfeit. <clears throat> so I want to give you full disclosure. Some of you will you'll get a giggle out of this. But uh, I remember finding a chart four or five, six years ago when we were going through the book of Galatians. And it was by a pastor that I know. I don't know if you've ever heard of his name. His name is Timothy Keller, right? Okay, all right. There you go. So, so it was, I found that chart uh, years ago. And he produced it uh, for a series that he was doing on the fruit of the Spirit, not, well, actually Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit at that time. And his chart listed four things as you go across the top of the chart. The first was the, the name of the fruit, right? Love, joy, peace, etc. The second column was the opposite, or pardon me, the definition, pardon me. The third column was the opposite, and then the fourth column was the counterfeit. Just the messenger here, right? And, and it's a good thing. So I want to show you today what he put on the chart for joy. First of all, he put on the chart that the definition is, look at this, delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is and what he's done. Delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is and what he's done. The opposite, hopelessness, despair. This is interesting. The counterfeit I would add, is mere elation or happiness that comes from experiencing blessings, but not the blesser. Mood swings based on circumstances. So with that in mind, let's consider this thing called joy. <laughs> let's consider it. And like I like to do, let me ask you a question. First question has to be, when you think about joy, what brings you joy? When you actually think about it, what brings you personally joy, right? What events or occurrences cause you to immediately smile and, and, and feel like life is good, right? This is awesome. Living the dream. What would those events look like in your life when your heart is bursting with happiness? What pleasurable moments or regained events cause you to laugh out loud, not because it's funny, but because you just you really can't contain yourself. Like you're just like, I haven't felt this way in a long time. This is it. Give me more of this. What would it look like? Well... We've all had a few of these moments, I do hope, in our lives. When I ask myself that question, I do find more and more that that joy actually in my life is part of the fruit of the Spirit. But it wasn't always that way. And even today, yes, even today, I, I'm like the rest of you. Circumstances, certain things can, can rob me of my joy. Or at least the joy of the Lord, right, that we should have. And that, by the way, is your sermon title for today the joy of the Lord, and I hope to show you three things in that. The first is going to be the joy, that joy is a new family. Secondly, joy is a new king. And thirdly, joy is a new purpose. And so when I ask myself these things, that's what I wonder. And, I, and, and so I wonder, I wonder for you too as well, um, because of the definition uh, that we see in our culture, in our world, uh, I, I wonder how you feel about joy. I, I remember very well when I was 17 years of age, which is a little while ago, uh, it's a long time ago, right? On September 28th, 1972, with just 38 seconds remaining in a do-or-die game, Canada scored the winning goal to beat the Ruskies, to beat the Russians, 6-5 in the eighth game. And it changed the world of hockey, at least for us Canadians, forever. I remember that. I was with my buddies. We played in a band together. We're all, we got off school. Most people stopped playing, working that day. We all sat down in front of our mostly black and white, well, no, some color TVs, and we watched it. And it was like, what? But actually what I remember about that day was we afterwards, our band was, was hired to play at an opening of a new mall. We did that. That was fun. But then I go home, 
and my dad's at home, and I can't wait to get home to talk to my dad about the game and all the rest of it. And he's got the Toronto Star newspaper opened, and I'm looking at the front cover of the paper, and it says, we won! That's going to come across really loud on the podcast. I'm sorry. Um, but you know what? I remember at that moment that I was, I was even joyful, more joyful again. It was a good day. It lasted for, well, a few weeks. It was really, really awesome. It really was. So listen, maybe you've had a similar experience when you felt something that immediately gave you that kind of like unbelievable joy. And some of you, I know some of those experiences, but then, then the problem is, of course, you move to a new city. <clears throat> you start cheering for the local team, the team that hasn't won a Stanley Cup in 50 years. And I'm sorry, but there's no joy. <laughs> And that goes for the Toronto Maple Leafs, too. You're welcome. Okay? I know it's a silly example, isn't it? It is silly, but that was a memory I had. And it was elation, incredible joy. It's hard to repeat those things. So ask yourself, what are some examples for you, past and present, that might be equally silly or examples of how, even as a Christian, you've allowed circumstances to rob you, literally rob you, of that kind of joy, the joy of the Spirit that he's wanting to really ripen in you. So let's return to the words of Christ in John 15, like I promised earlier, in his Sermon on the Vine, to see the relationship that he wants to show us between love and joy, which is the first two that we've been looking at. Beginning in verse 9, last half of verse 9, Jesus says this in John 15, abide in my love. Remember, he'd been repeating that, abide in my love. As the Father abides in my love, in me, loves me, I love the Father, abide in my love, abide in our love. And then he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my, home, in my love. Just as I, follow my example, kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. We're at verse what now? 11. All of the above about the vine and the branches and the vine dresser. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, this is mine, may be in you and that your joy may be full. Like, that's, that's beyond just a wish and a desire. That's actually a promise from Christ that he can accomplish that in you. And so it's a reminder for us, first of all, that when we are struggling to fully and deeply experience the fruit of the Spirit, good chances are it's because we're not abiding in the vine. That's the good chances are that that's what's happening. If a circumstance or a life event comes about and you just, you can't muster up even a smile, it's probable that you're not abiding in the vine as much as we should. Plus, it's also true that we're probably not keeping his word Oh, yeah, loving one another. That was the first one, wasn't it? His commandments, especially the new commandment, which is to love one another that we saw last week. And then look at his reason or his conclusion. He says, I have spoken these things to you about the vine, the vine dresser, about you being the branches and the fruit to be produced in you so that, I love the so that's in the Bible, my joy may be in you and so your joy may be full. So once again, we see that this joy is his joy. It's the Spirit's fruit. You and I are powerless to produce it on our own. We need to be in the vine 
and allow the Holy Spirit to be producing this in us. So once again, it's not of the world. It is supernatural joy that we're talking about here today that Jesus wants us to have. So now let's look at what and where this supernatural joy is found. This might surprise you, but let's look at it. Number one, I want to suggest to you, joy is having a brand new family. I know right right away, as soon as I say this, some of you, and it's good, good for some of you. I can say it too, I guess. Hey, hold on. I don't know if I need a new family. What are you talking about, Glenn? Well, let's have a look at that. I'm relatively certain that many of you, especially you parents, would have answered the previous question that I asked about what gives you joy by pointing to your lovely little ones, right? Uh, Especially the newborn ones. You just wait. You're going to need the joy of the Lord. I'm promising you right now, right? You are. But it's true. Come on. I remember being there for the birth of all of our boys. It's, it's frighteningly joyful. It's amazing. New birth. It's really incredible. So, so many of you could also promote to, uh, pardon me, point to your nuclear family, your mom, your dad, your siblings. You could. You could point to them and you could say, hey, listen, we, we've had so many joyful times together. My childhood, Christmases, Thanksgiving, you name it. Joy. Like I can really remember it. It's been awesome. I, I, can, I can also say to you that, you know, no matter how tired I am at, at my age, uh, there are days when even we're tired and Janice and I are waiting patiently at our house and then there's this little cacophony of noise outside and four little granddaughters come running up to the door. Hey, Grandpa Glenn! I can knock on this thing too. It's awesome. Um, you know what? It produces joy. It does. It produces joy in my heart and it should in all of our hearts when we see that, right? So I feel this joy, and it's natural to feel that kind of joy. So how should we consider this? You know, we also have to think about these things, however, and I want to point this out this morning, obviously. Um, There is, of course, the single person uh, who desires very much to be married and to have a family, quote, with children of their own. Um, That's a reality for many, many people. I'm sure that some of us... uh, also do not necessarily have joyful experiences from our past family growing up. Many of us have had very difficult relationships with our, within our nuclear family. I sometimes jokingly say, you know, the in-laws and the outlaws. It's not something to joke about this morning. There are all kinds of reasons for that. There are literally sometimes cruel and mean moms and dads, parents. There is, of course, uh, the brokenness in our world that leads to the breakup of marriages and divorce. There's a loss of a parent early in life. That can take away joy for a lot of people. There are family feuds, abuses, and even persecution for you as a Christian by family members after the fact. That can rob you of your joy. And so we need to be careful when we think about these things and just recognize that fact, that some of us have had joyful experiences in a natural way and sometimes in a fruit-inspired way, Holy Spirit-inspired way, but many many of us have not. And that's why I want to propose to you today, joy is having a new family. And I believe that's the way God wants you to look at it. In the Gospel of John, the apostle writes something really uh, key about the coming of Jesus, the light who's coming into the world, right? 
And just before he says, uh, and, and uh, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, he says this in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. About, he's, he's referring to, first of all, the people of Israel who rejected Jesus, who did not, you know, did not welcome him as the Messiah. And then he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So now most of you who have been out around the rock for any number of years. <laughs> uh, you've heard me repeat what you're going to find. Some of you are going to go home today and look at the e-newsletter and go, he said it was on the e-newsletter. It is. It's at the top left-hand corner. And it, it is our identity as a church, is our identity as Christians at the Rock Church. And we promote this all the time. And I want to re- reprise it for you this morning because it's an identity statement that God has given to us. And it says at the top of the newsletter, and we use it as our identity, we, the Rock Church, are a family of missionary servants. We take that from the words of Jesus, of course, from Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19 to 20, where he talks about, you know, go into all the world and make disciples who make disciples. And then he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that you know about me. You've heard about me. Well, sometimes I think sometimes I've said in the past, people hear that and they go, well, that's, that's just what that you get. You re, pastors or whoever's baptizing someone says that at the baptism, right? And that is good. Like you, actually, this is a naming ceremony. That's why we call it an identity statement. It's a naming ceremony for you and I. And so in the beginning there, it's a naming ceremony. And first we are introduced to our Heavenly Father. We are baptized into the name of the Father, as John recorded in the verse that we saw on screen. And then when you and I receive the word about Jesus and look, believe in his name, we become children of God. We become children of God. Why, why did he use the word become? Because we weren't before. We're children of God once we're in Christ. And so this is a beautiful picture. We, we are adopted into his eternal family, and that, my friends, should produce joy. You know, even in human processes of adoption, I mean, the way it has generally gone in the past is you, you, you get pictures of various children that might be available and you pick a child. You choose the child that you want to adopt. We saw that in First Peter, that we are chosen by our Heavenly Father to be his children. And Jesus is the one who gives us the right to be his children and as I said, that should produce a lot of joy in us. Because listen, every, I, I've been a father of three boys. Um, years ago, uh, one of my sons gave me a book by John Eldridge called Wild at Heart. He said, Dad, you should read this book. Right? And I said, okay, why is that? And he said, well, just read it. And so I'm reading the book, and it's all about the hurt of the father and how, how fathers have hurt their children. And all of a sudden, I go to my son, I went, you know, like, and, and I said, well, again, why did you give me this book? He goes, well... Start with your, my, my older brother and just think about it. Have you ever heard him? So, yeah. I, earthly fathers are not perfect, amen? Please raise your hands, men. Yeah, thank you. We're not. No matter how hard we might try, we are not perfect. Our Heavenly Father is. We're in His family. I know we're a bunch of misfits. We're weird. We're, we're different but we're from every nation, tongue, and tribe, and that is beautiful. Is it not? This is a forever family, by the way. This is the family that you will spend eternity with. That actually should produce joy in you. 
does for me. I mean that sincerely. So when we read the Bible from cover to cover, it'll show you quite clearly that this has all been part of the story of God from the very beginning. This unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect love creates a man and a woman and says to them, go forth and what? Multiply. Start a family. (laughs) That was his plan from day one. And of course, you know how that went. It didn't go well. It was broken. The relationship of the family with the father was broken, but also the relationship within Adam and Eve was broken at that point. You remember what it says in Genesis 3, I think verse 26, where it says, uh, after he curses the the serpent, right? Okay, Eve, here's going to be your problem in your relationship. And by the way, Adam, here's going to be the problem in your relationship. It's not good. It's not good. By chapter 5, we find out that their prodigy, you know, one kills the other. It's not good. But it's been the plan of God, always was and always will be to, listen, restore the family relationship with him, first of all, most importantly. And so the whole of the Old Testament is the story of God choosing a people for himself to be part of his family. And even in the Old Testament, his intention was that everyone was welcome. That was always the intention in the Old Testament. It seems like when you read the Old Testament, the people of Israel did not get the memo. That can happen in the church today, right? That can happen in the church today. However, when we fast forward to the New Testament, and especially Paul, there's, even, even in Galatians you read it, but especially in Paul, he's, he's often preaching to the Gentiles who always felt like they were not welcome. And he's always teaching them and preaching them, going, guys, no, listen, don't, don't listen to what they say. You always were welcome. And by the way, now you are in the family of God. This was, when they heard this, this gospel news for them was the good news. It produced joy in their hearts. And Paul wanted them to have that kind of joy and that kind of joy to remind in, remain in them, pardon me. They've been adopted, are equally members of one another, co-heirs with Christ. You know, read Ephesians, we're co-heirs with Christ and we have an inheritance that is secure. <laughs> My mom and dad, God bless them. My dad was a construction worker. You know, they ended up leaving uh, Janice and I and, and, you know, and my sister a, a little bit at the end, which was very, very helpful. It was an inheritance. It was awesome. Some of you are thinking, I hope so, right? And the rest are going, I don't think so, right? This is unbelievable. This is supernatural. The inheritance that awaits us. And do, do you believe that? <laughs> it's, it's, it, we, we are co-heirs with Christ. We get everything that he has is given to us because we're heirs. And so friends, what you and I have been invited into is a new and one day perfect family. And the point of the fruit is that we disciple one another that yes, the father does pruning, but you know what he does sometimes? He uses you to prune me and me to prune you. It's how we get sharpened. And that's how we become one another in the church. And that should remind us of the joy of this new family. And so again, let me just leave on that point. That's why it's so important to come here on Sunday mornings. And when your pastor's trying to get you back to listen to the word, you, don't, you just want to talk with each other. That's awesome too. That's why we get into missional community groups. Because we're a family. We're a family. And we're, 
We're working hard to see that fruit of love ripened in us that we love one another. Second joy is having a new king. (laughs) This is a great one. We're baptized in the name of the son Jesus, whom we know is our savior. Yes, of course. But we also know that he is what? He's King Jesus, right? We know that from the scripture. That's the whole point. I mean, he is the one who assumes the throne of who? King David. The whole scripture points to him as being our king. Numerous Old and New Testament scripture point to Jesus being the king, the one who would assume David's throne. And in the New Testament, we remember what Pilate asked Jesus. Remember that? As Jesus is being persecuted and prepared for crucifixion, Pilate asks him, so are you a king? Jesus' basic response is, it's as you say. But then he wants Pilate to know something else. And he says this, my kingdom, in John chapter 18, verse 36, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now, now he's not saying that his kingdom isn't alive and well in the world today. It is. It's occupied by the church, (laughs) you and I. And his kingdom is continually expanding What he's saying is, my kingdom is supernatural. It's not like any other kingdom in this world. Oh, hold on. That sounds joyful. (laughs) Right? Our joy then is centered on the truth that Jesus reigns today both in heaven and on earth. He's king. You know, it's called the Dominion of Canada. He reigns from sea to sea to sea. That's actually on the Parliament Buildings. I think it's Psalm 72, 6 or 8, that says that. And it's true. He is our king, and he reigns over all these things. So our joy then, our joy is centered on the truth that Jesus reigns in heaven and earth, and that he will come again, and he will establish his forever kingdom. So no matter what, (laughs) there are times when I think about our world today, and I'm like, even solar Jesus come quickly. So as we look around at our world today and culture, as we witness the almost total degradation of all that is good, I sense that for many of us, as we look at this from day to day, the, the, the decline in our world and in our culture, it, it, could, it could rob us of our joy. Anybody? Can it get there and begin to rob you of your joy? Let me point you to, to my two favorite hashtags. I think I came up with them. I don't know. Hashtag, not my king. Hashtag. Not my kingdom. I got, I got to be honest with you. Again, we talk about it. Some of you, we talk about it in a mission community group, just, you know, over a barbecue, whatever. And we talk about what's going on out there. And it just, it can rob us of our joy. We need to daily remind ourselves that Jesus is on the throne. A little side note story that I just, I thought I might share with you is that many, many years ago, I think in my early 40s, I was, I'm just saying, I was recruited to potentially run for a very safe conservative seat in the Fraser Valley, politically. And I was like, at the time, I mean, I was a businessman, and I was like, my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law were uh, riding chairpersons for a fella in Chilliwack, and, and, and it was a safe seat. I, 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 you know, if I had run, I probably wouldn't have to even, it sounded smart. Like, it, it was, I was going to win because it was a conservative seat, and, and, and so forth. And I remember praying about it, my mother-in-law and father-in-law going, you know, Glenn, you know, really, you know, like, you, you, you know, you can talk. I got my mother's gift of the gab. Anybody notice that? Right? Um, 
And so like, I'm, I'm weighing it, I'm praying about it, literally praying about it. And at that point in my life, God had really gotten a hold of my life through my mentor, Dr. Doug Yackel. And so I'm praying about it. And, and I didn't hear an audible, but I heard this. I heard God say, Glenn, my plan A for this world is the church, not politics. And I heard that, and I, and I trusted it. And it has been very helpful to me in my life. But I also want to say, well, a good friend of mine who was trying to recruit me, who was a member of parliament for Chilliwack, was a Christian in politics because he was called to it. And so that's good too. That's good too. He wanted to be salt and light there. And so in conclusion, we, I want to get to this with you. There are so many other examples that we could consider this morning of joy found in the New Testament. It is prevalent in the Old Testament as well, and some of them may surprise you. One of them that we, we should be joyful about is that there's something about God in the Old Testament that's kind of amazing. He's into parties. <laughs> he commands the people of Israel to celebrate, to have festivals, to drink wine, not to excess, but to celebrate the goodness of God. He, he, that, that's something that he, he promotes is that we should have parties. We should, even, you know, I mean, obviously we shouldn't be, we, he also commands them to be morally clean, do not be drunk with wine, do not do what the pagans do when they're at parties, right? But still to celebrate and to party. And of course, we know that Jesus very much enjoyed a good party, including wine at a wedding, right? Sadly, because he was welcoming to everyone, the Jews and Gentiles alike, he often ate and drank with Gentiles. And the religious leaders accused him, of course, being what? A drunkard and worse? Worse? A friend of sinners. And of course, he was never a drunkard. But oh, yes, thankfully, he was a friend, and he is a friend of sinners. So we too should find joy in celebrating, I would suggest to you. But lastly, I want to encourage you also, as I shared about my own story a minute ago, thirdly, joy is having a brand new purpose in life. Finally, we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, which means we are what? We're missionaries. We're servants of our King Jesus, and we serve him by serving others. But he and the, whole, and, and, and the Heavenly Father, they send us in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what? To be missionaries in this world. So most of my adult life, and it may, may actually have started when I was late in my teens, it was interesting. I remember thinking this way back when I was in my teens, and it wasn't about, like, okay, what is the meaning and purpose of life philosophically? I wasn't big into that, really. But what I was big into in my late teens was, was trying to find out, well, what, what could I do with my life that would bring meaning and purpose? What would be meaningful and purposeful with my life? I guess at the end I was thinking, what would bring me joy? Get me up every morning and, and think, like, this is awesome. I want to go do this. And what am I called to do? So I don't think I knew it specifically, but, but at 23 years of age, I came to faith in Christ. And slowly, slowly over time, reading the Bible and failing over and over again to live this Christian life the way that I should, the Spirit began to show me and is to this day the true meaning and purpose in life. And it can be found, and there's no greater joy in any way, I think, than serving Christ, following him. I want to leave you in conclusion with the words from Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, the author, who I, I think many believe and I do, is the Apostle Paul. may not be. It's a conclusion statement in chapter 12, which is kind of typical of Paul. to take 11 chapters to get to a conclusion. And he says this, Therefore, since we, since you and I are surrounded 
by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cleans so closely, and let us run the race that is set before us. It's an endurance. It's a marathon. It's a long, you know, this, this process of ripening takes a while. And then he says, how? Looking to Jesus, the founder and protector of our, uh, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, every time I read those words, hear those words, I just stop at that point and, and, and say to myself, who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him? Friends, that's why he's called you and I to follow him. He understands joy. He understood what he was about to accomplish when he went to the cross. He was about to accomplish the joy of a new family for you and for me. He was about to accomplish becoming king and sitting down at the right hand of God and being king and having authority over everything. And he was also about to accomplish a brand new purpose for you and I in this life today. So I want to propose to you there's no greater meaning or purpose in this life that will give you or I more joy than following Jesus with all of our hearts. And therefore, since our lives are filled with his joy, as the Spirit ripens joy in us, get this, we get to enjoy new family, our new king, and a new meaning and purpose, a new mission for our own personal lives, which is his. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. Hi, Father, we know that as we, even in prayer up there this morning, I, I heard a couple people praying about joy and what that looks like or doesn't look like or could look like. And there's so much that I didn't put in here in the time that you gave to me this morning. And so, Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, for all of us, that, Holy Spirit, that you would ripen this type of joy in us. You would help us despite any circumstances that come to us, Lord. The challenges and trials that you bring into our lives personally or into the life of our church, into those we love. And there's so many things that can rob us of our joy, Lord. I pray, my brothers and sisters, that you would ripen this joy in us. That no matter what, we would have your joy, Jesus. We would would consider... It's such a joyful privilege to endure this race like you enjoyed, endured the cross on our behalf. So I pray. I thank you for your blessings. I pray your great encouragement for us this morning. In Jesus' worthy name.